0: CHAPTER eighteen of the Landleaguers This LibriVox recording is in the public domain The Landleaguers BY Antony Trollope. CHAPTER eighteen Frank Jones Has ceased to exist To tell the truth, Rachel had a thorough good cry before she went to bed that night. Though there was something hard, fixed, imperious, almost manlike about her manner, still she was as soft hearted as any other girl. We may best describe her by saying that she was an American and an actress it was impossible to doubt her no one who had once known her could believe her to be other than she had declared herself she was loyal affectionate and dutiful but there was missing to her a feminine weakness which of all her gifts is the most valuable to an englishwoman till she makes the mistake of bartering it away for women's rights we can imagine however that the staunchest woman's right lady should cry for her lost lover and rachel o'mahony cried bitterly for hers "'It had to be done,' she said, jumping up at last in her bedroom and clenching her fist as she walked about the chamber. "'It had to be done. A girl situated as I am cannot look too close after herself. "'Father is more like my son than my father. He has no idea that I want anything done for me. "'Nor do I want much,' she said, as she went on rapidly taking the short course of the room. "'No one could say a word about me till I brought my lover forward and showed him to the theatre. "'I think they did believe him to be a myth.' but a myth in that direction does no harm till he appears in the flesh. They think that I have made an empty boast about my Mr. Jones. The ugliest girl that ever came out may do the same thing, and nobody ever thinks anything of it. A lover in the clouds never does any harm, and now my lover is in the clouds. I know that he has gone and will never come to earth again. How much better I love him because he would not take my offer! Then there would have been a little contempt. And how could I expect him to yield to me in everything, with this brute moss insulting me at every turn?' i do not think that he had the courage to send me that message but still what could i do but tell frank and then what could frank do but come i would have come let any girl have bade me steal away Here she had imagined herself to be the lover and not the girl who was loved but it only shows that we are better apart he cannot marry me and i cannot marry him the squire is at his wits end with grief by the squire mr jones had been signified it is better as it is father and the squire ought never to have been brought together nor ought i and frank i suppose i must tell them all at the theatre that mr jones belongs to me no longer only if i did so they would think that i was holding out a lure to mohammed m there's papa i'll go down and tell him all that need be told about it so saying she ascended to their sitting-room well my dear what did you do with frank he has gone back to ireland under the name of mr jones then there was a quarrel oh dear yes there was safe to be a quarrel does it suit your book upon the whole not in the least you see before you the most wretched heroine that ever appeared on the boards of any theatre you may laugh but it's true i don't know what i've got to say to mr moss now if he comes forward in a proper manner and can prove to me that madame socani is not madame mahomet m moss i don't know what i can do but accept him the adriatic is free to wed another then she walked about the room laughing to prevent her tears did you hear anything about castle moroni not a word or the boy florian not a syllable though i was most anxious to ask the question when you are intent upon any matter it does not do to go away to other things i should never have made him believe that he was to leave me in earnest had i allowed him to talk about florian and the girls he has gone now well good-night father you and i father are all in all to each other now Not but what somebody else will come i suppose do you wish that somebody else should come as you say i suppose so do not look so surprised father girls very seldom have to say what they really wish i have done with him now i had him because i really loved him like a fool as i was i have got to go in for being a singing girl a singing woman is better than a singing girl if they don't have husbands they are supposed to have lovers i hope to have one or the other and i prefer the husband mr jones has gone who knows but what the marquis de carabas may come next could you change so soon yes immediately i don't say i should love the marcus but i should treat him well don't look so shocked dear father i never shall treat a man badly unless i stick a knife into mohammed m moss it would be best perhaps to get a singing marcus so that the two of us might go walking about the world together till we had got money enough to buy a castle i am beginning to believe m le gros i think i can sing don't you think father that i can sing they all say so it is very good to have one about me like you who are not enthusiastic but I can sing, and I am pretty, too, pretty enough along with my singing, to get some fool to care for me. Yes, you may look astonished. Over there in Galway I was fool enough to fall in love. What has come of it? The man tells me that he cannot marry me, and it is true. If he were to marry me, what would become of you?" "'Never mind me,' said her father. And what would become of him, and what would become of me, and what would become of the dreadful little impediments which might follow? Of course to me Frank Jones is the best of men." I can't have him, and that is just all about it. I am not going to give up the world because Frank Jones is lost. Love is not to be lord of all with me. I shall steer my little boat among the shiny waters of the London theatres, and may perhaps venture along the waves of Paris and New York, but I shall do so always with my eyes open. Gas is the atmosphere in which I am destined to glitter, and if a Marcus comes in the way, why, I shall do the best I can with the Marcus. I won't bring you to trouble, if I can help it, or any one else with whom I have to do." "'So good-night, father.' Then she kissed his forehead and went up to bed, leaving him to wonder at the intricacies of his position. He had that night been specially eloquent and awfully indignant as to the wrongs done to Ireland by England. He had dealt with millions of which Great Britain was supposed by him to have robbed her poor sister. He was not a good financier, but he did in truth believe in the millions. He had not much capacity for looking into questions of political economy, but he had great capacity for arguing about them, and for believing his own arguments. The British Parliament was to him an abomination. He read the papers daily, and he saw that the number of votes on his side fell from sixty to forty, and thirty, and twenty, and he found also that the twenty men were despised by their own countrymen as well as Englishmen, that they were men trained to play a false game in order to achieve their objects and yet he believed in the twenty against all the world and threw in his lot without a scruple and without a doubt nor did he understand at all the strength of his own words he had been silenced in ireland and had rigorously obeyed the pledge that he had given for he was a man to whom personally his word was a bond now he had come over to london and being under no promise had begun again to use the words which came to him without an effort as he would sweep back his long hair from his brows and send sparks of fire out of his eyes he would look to be the spirit of patriotic indignation but he did not know that he was thus powerful to tell the truth and as he had said to earn a few shillings was the object of his ambition but now on this evening three london policemen in their full police uniform with their fearful police helmets on had appeared in the room in which his dramatic associates had on this evening given way to gerald o'mahony's eloquence nothing had been said to him but as he came home he was aware that two policemen had watched him and he was aware also that his words had been taken down in shorthand then he had encountered his daughter and all her love troubles he had heard her expound her views as to life and had listened as she had expressed her desire to meet with some marcus de Carabas. she had said nothing with which he could find fault but her whole views of life were absolutely different from his according to his ideas there should be no marquises no singing girls making huge fortunes only singing girls in receipt of modest sums of money and that when dire necessity compelled them there should be no gorgeous theatres flaring with gas and certainly no policemen to take down men's words everything in the world was wrong except those twenty members of parliament three or four days after this rachel found that a report was abroad at the theatre that she had dissolved her engagement with mr jones at this time the three policemen had already expressed their opinion about mr o'mahony but they for the present may be left in obscurity est-il vrai que monsieur jones n'existe plus these words were whispered to her as she was dressing by madame socani while mr o'mahony had gone out to say a word to a police detective who had called to see him at the theatre as Madame Socani was an American woman, there was no reason why she should not have asked this question in English, were it not that, as it referred to an affair of love, it may be thought that French was the proper language. "'Mr. Jones isn't any more as far as I'm concerned,' said Rachel, passing on. "'Oh, he has gone,' said Madame Socani, following her into the slips. They were both going on to the stage, but two minutes were allowed to them, while Mohammed M. Moss declared, in piteous accents, the woe which awaited him because Alberta— who was personated by rachel had preferred the rustic trullo to him who was by birth a prince of the empire yes mr jones has gone madame as you are so anxious to know but why can it be that there was no mr jones then rachel flashed round upon the woman i suppose there was no mr jones Oh, mio tesor. these last three words were sung in a delicious contralto voice by elmira the madame socani of the occasion and were addressed to the prince of the empire who for the last six weeks had been neglecting her charms rachel was furious at the attack made upon her but in the midst of her fury she rushed on to the stage and kneeling at the feet of elmira declared her purpose of surrendering the prince altogether the rustic trullo was quite sufficient for her go fond girl trullo was there tying up the odoriferous rose then they all four broke out into that grand quartet, in the performance of which m le gros had formed that opinion which had induced him to hold out such golden hopes to rachel rachel looked up during one of her grand shakes and saw frank jones seated far back among the boxes oh he hasn't left london yet she said to herself as she prepared for another shake your papa desires me to say with his kindest love that he has had to leave the theatre this came from mr moss when the piece was ended he was dressed as princes of the empire generally do dress on the stage and she as the daughter of the keeper of the king's garden so they tell me very well i will go home i suppose he has had business a policeman i fear some little pecuniary embarrassment a rumour had gone about the theatre that mr o'mahony was overwhelmed with money difficulties mr moss had probably overheard the rumour "'I don't believe that at all. It's something political, more likely.' "'Very likely. I don't know. I will see you to your house.' And Mohammed M. looked as though he were going to jump into the brougham in the garments of the imperial prince. "'Mr. Moss, I can go very well alone.' And she turned around upon him, and stood in the doorway, so as to oppose his coming out, and frowned upon him with that look of anger which she knew so well how to assume. "'I have that to say to you, which has to be said at once.' "'You drive about London with me in that dress? It would be absurd. You are painted all round your eyes. I wouldn't get into a carriage with you on any account. In five minutes I will have dressed myself. Whether dressed or undressed it does not signify. You know very well that I would on no account get into a carriage with you. You are taking advantage of me because my father is not here. If you accompany me I will call for a policeman directly we get into the street.' ah you do not know said mr moss and he looked at her exactly as he had looked at her about an hour ago when he was making love to her as trullo's betrothed here's my father she said for at that moment mr o'mahony appeared within the theatre having made his way up from the door in time to take his daughter home mr o'mahony said mr moss i shall do myself the honour of calling to-morrow and seeing your daughter at her apartments in gower street you will see her father too said rachel i shall be delighted said moss it will give me the greatest pleasure on earth to see mr o'mahony on this occasion so saying the imperial prince made a low bow paint and all and allowed the two to go down into the street and get into the brougham mr o'mahony at once began with his own story the policeman who had called for him had led him away round the corner into scotland yard and had there treated him with utmost deference. Nothing could be more civil to him than had been the officer, but the officer had suggested to him that he had been the man who had said some rough words about the queen in Galway, and had promised to abstain in future from lecturing. To this I replied, said he, that I had said nothing rough about the queen, I had said that the queen was as nearly an angel on earth as a woman could be. I had merely doubted whether there should be queens. Thereupon the policeman shook his head and declared that he could not admit any doubt on that question. "'But you wouldn't expect me to allow it in New York,' said I. "'You've got to allow it here,' said he. "'But my pledge was made as to Ireland,' said I. "'It is all written down in some magistrate's book, and you'll find it if you send over there.' Then I told him that I wouldn't break my word for him or his queen either. Upon that he thanked me very much for my civility, and told me that if I would hurry back to the theatre, I should be in time to take you home. If it was necessary, he would let me hear from him again.' you will know where to find me said i and i gave him our address in farringdon street and told him i should be there to-morrow at half-past eight he shook hands with me as though i had been his brother and so here i am then she began to tell her story but there did not seem to be much of interest in it i suppose he'll come said mr o'mahony oh yes he'll come it's something about Monsieur le gros said he you'll find that he'll abuse that poor frenchman he may save himself the trouble said rachel then they reached Gower Street and went to bed, having eaten two mutton-chops apiece. On the next morning, at eleven o'clock, tidings were brought up to Rachel in her bedroom, that Mr. Moss was in the sitting-room downstairs. "'Father is there!' exclaimed Rachel. Then the girl, who had learned to understand that Mr. Moss was not regarded as a welcome visitor, assured her that he was at the moment entertained by Mr. O'Mahony. "'He's a tellin' of what the perlice said to him in the city, but I don't think as the Jew gentleman minds him much.' from which it may be gathered that rachel had not been discreet in speaking of her admirer before the lodging-house servant she dressed herself not in a very great hurry her father she knew had no other occupation at this hour in the morning and she did not in the least regard how mr moss might waste his time and she had to think of many things before she could go down to meet him meditating upon it all she was inclined to think that the interview was intended as hostile to monsieur Legros. gros monsieur le gros would be represented no doubt as a jew twice more jewish than mr moss himself but rachel had a strong idea that m le gros was a very nice old french gentleman when he had uttered all those varies one after another with still increasing emphasis rachel had no doubt believed them all and she was taking great trouble with herself practising every day for two hours together with a looking-glass before her on the pianoforte as Mr. Moss had made her quite understand that the opening of her mouth wide was the chief qualification necessary to her beyond that which nature had done for her. Rachel did think it possible that she might become the undoubted prima donna of the day, as M Legros had called her, and she thought it much more probable that she should do so under the auspices of M Le Gros than those of Mr. Moss when therefore she went down at last to the sitting-room, she did so, determined to oppose Mr. Moss as bidding for her voice rather than as a candidate for her love when she entered the room she could not help beginning with something of an apology in that she had kept the man waiting but mr moss soon stopped her it does not signify the least in the world he said laying his hand upon his waistcoat if only i can get this opportunity of speaking to you while your father is present then when she looked at the brilliance of his garments and heard the tones of his voice she was sure that the attack on this occasion was not to be made on m le gros she remained silent and sat square on her chair looking at him. A man must be well versed in feminine wiles who could decipher under Rachel's manners her determination to look as ugly as possible on the occasion. In a moment she had flattened every jaunty twist and turn out of her habiliments and had given to herself an air of absolute dowdyism. Her father sat by without saying a word. Miss O'Mahony, if I may venture to ask a question, I trust you may not be offended. I suppose not, as my father is present, she replied am i right in believing the engagement to be over which bound you to mr jones you are said rachel quite out loud giving another quite unnecessary twist to her gown that obstacle is then removed mr jones is removed and has gone to ireland then mr moss sighed deeply i can manage my singing very well without mr jones not a doubt not a doubt and i have heard that you have made an engagement in all respects beneficial with m le gros of covent garden monsieur le gros is a gentleman for whom i have a most profound respect so have i had i been at your elbow it is possible that something better might have been done but two months they run by oh so quickly quite so if i can do any good i shall quickly get another engagement you will no doubt do a great deal of good but mr jones is now at an end "'Mr. Jones is at an end,' said Rachel, with another blow at her gown. "'A singing girl like me does better without a lover, especially if she has got a father to look after her.' "'That's as may be,' said Mr. O'Mahony. "'That's as may be,' said Mr. Moss, again laying his hand upon his heart. The tone in which Mr. Moss repeated Mr. O'Mahony's words was indicative of the feeling and poetry within him. "'If you had a lover such as your faithful Moss,' the words seemed to say, "'no father could look after you half so well.' "'I believe I could do very well with no one to look after me.' "'Of course you and I have misunderstood each other hitherto.' "'Not at all,' said Rachel. "'I was unaware at first that Mr. Jones was an absolute reality. "'You must excuse me, but the name misled me.' "'Why shouldn't a girl be engaged to a man named Jones? "'Jones is as good a name as Moss, at any rate, and a deal more—' "'She had been going to remark that Jones was the more Christian of the two, "'but stopped herself. "'At any rate, you are now free,' he said. "'No, I am not.' yes i am i am free and i mean to remain so why don't you tell him father i have got nothing to tell him my dear you are so much better able to tell him everything yourself if you would only listen to me miss o'mahony you had better listen to him rachel very well i will listen now go on then she again thumped herself and she had thumped her hair and thumped herself all around till she was as limp and dowdy as the elder sister of a low church clergyman of forty "'I wish you to believe, Miss O'Mahony, that my attachment to you is most devoted.' She pursed her lips together and looked straight out of her eyes at the wall opposite. "'We belong to the same class of life, and our careers lie in the same groove.' Hereupon she crossed her hands before her on her lap, while her father sat speculating whether she might not have done better to come out on the comic stage. "'I wish you to believe that I am quite sincere in the expression which I make of a most ardent affection.' here again he slapped his waistcoat and threw himself into an attitude he was by no means an ill-looking man and though he was forty years old he did not appear to be so much he had been a public singer all his life and was known by rachel to have been connected for many years with theatres both in london and new york she had heard many stories as to his amorous adventures but knew nothing against his character in money matters he had in truth always behaved well to her in whatever pecuniary transactions there had been between them but he had ventured to make love to her and had done so in a manner which had altogether disgusted her she now waited till he paused for a moment in his eloquence and then she spoke a word. What about Madame Socani? chapter eighteen.